0: Poetry Filter, Emily Dickinson. Emily Dickinson by Wordsworth Poetry Library. This book has selected poems of Emily Dickinson and a bit of introduction. Let's begin. A step like a pattering child's in entry, and in glided a little plain woman, with two smooth bands of reddish hair, and a face a little like ballet doves. Not plainer, with no good feature. In a very plain and exquisitely clean white, pick and blue, net worsted shawl. She came to me with two day lilies, which she put in a sort of childlike way into my hand and said, These are my introduction, in a soft, frightened, childlike voice and added under her breath, Forgive me if I am frightened. I never see strangers and hardly know what I say. This passage from a letter written by her literary mentor, Thomas Wentworth Higginson in 1870, describes their first meeting when she was 40 years old and already living as a virtual recluse. She had initiated their relationship eight years earlier as a result of his article in the Atlantic Monthly which offered advice to aspiring writers. In April 1862, Emily Dickinson had written to ask, Are you too deeply occupied to say if my verse is alive? The mind is so near itself, it cannot see distinctly. And I have none to ask. Should you think it breathes and you had the leisure to tell me? I should feel quick gratitude. The irony in this letter lies in the fact that her poetry was indeed alive. And perhaps too much so for Higginson, whose advice she was to seek for many years to come. Having in her seclusion in the quiet academic town of Amherst, Massachusetts no intellectual companionship, her father a a lawyer was too busy with his briefs to notice what we do and her mother did not care for thought. It is a well-known and often the best-known detail of Emily Dickinson's life that she was a recluse. And this has often been mistaken for a sign of melancholia, eccentricity or nun-like piety. But as Conrad Aiken states in Introduction to Selected Poems, of Emily Dickinson London 1924 it is apparent Miss Dickinson became a hermit by deliberate and conscious choice as she says to Higginson to live is so startling it leaves but little room for other occupations and a letter always feels to me like immortality because it is in the it is the mind alone without corporeal friend indebted in our talk to attitude and accent there seems a spectral power in thought that walks alone her withdrawal made it possible for her to apprehend Life more fully and with greater concentration of purpose. Indeed, this concentration reveals how her undistracted reflection on life gave her an immense breadth of vision within her geographically limited life. Where she suffered loneliness as a result of her confinement. She intellectualized it in her poetry in her characteristically paradoxical way. It might be lonelier, it might be lonelier without the loneliness. Questioned by Higginson about her reclusive life, she said, of shunning men and women. The talk of hallowed things allowed and embarrassed my dog. He and I don't object to them. If they will exist, their side. This shunning left her with only those things which mattered most to her. Her family, friends, books. For poets, I have Keats and Mr. and Mrs. Browning. For prose, Mr. Ruskin, Sir Thomas Brown, and the Revelations. He, that's her father, buys me many books but begs me not to read them because he fears they joggle the mind. As regards romantic relationships, she alludes in a poem of 1862 to an unnamed he. Again, his voice is at the door. I feel the old degree. I hear him ask the servant for such a one as me. Again, his voice is at the door. I feel the old degree. I hear him ask the servant for such a one as me. I take a flower as I go, my face to justify. He never saw me in this life, I might surprise his eye. I take a flower as I go, my face to justify. He never saw me in this life, I might surprise his eye. The known facts of her romantic relationships are that she heard and perhaps visited the preacher, the Reverend Sir Charles Wadsworth, a 40 year old married man who lived in Philadelphia. They corresponded, no letters remain, but we must assume that for Emily the relationship almost certainly took place on an imaginative and spiritual plane. However, the attachment was no less intense for this, and when he accepted a post thousands of miles away in San Francisco, Emily suffered what she refers to as a death. Her later poetry refers to this vivid and passionate love that failed and led to a renunciation of further romantic attachments and also social contact as a whole. The soul selects her own society, then shuts the door to her divine majority, present no more. The soul selects her own society, then shuts the door to her divine majority, present no more. Unmoved, she notes the chariots pausing at a low gate. Unmoved, an emperor kneeling upon her mat. I have known her from an ample nation, choose one, then close the walls of attention like stone. It also seems to have been events at the time of Wadsworth's departure that precipitated her first letter to Higginson and her first and only serious attempt to test her poetry with the world. She asked Higginson whether her poetry breathed, but his judgment of her poetry was of its time and her poetry was before its time. In a letter to his wife after his first meeting with Emily, he was obviously struck by an eccentricity that he could not understand. She was much too enigmatical a being for me. She was much too enigmatical a being for me. At the same meeting with her, she had said, If I read a book, it takes my whole body so cold. If I read a book, it makes my whole body so cold. No fire ever can warm me. I know that is poetry. If I read a book and it makes my whole body so cold, no fire ever can warm me, I know that is poetry. If I feel physically as if the top of my head were taken off, I know that is poetry. So where did Emily Dickinson's poetry come from? She clearly drew influences from Emerson and the rhythm and metre of the Christian hymn are apparent throughout her verse. But her powerful and passionate moral mysticism, Aiken, was all her own. Her poems show a struggle for the center of things, the essence, and her own and her own search for identity the drop that wrestles in the sea the drop that wrestles in the sea forgets her own locality as I toward thee the drop that wrestles in the sea forgets her own locality as I toward thee She knows herself and in sense small, Yet small, she sighs. If all is all, how larger be? She knows herself, and in sense small. Yet small, she sighs. If all is all, how larger be? The ocean smiles at her conceit, but she, forgetting, Amphitrite, pleads, me? In this poem, as in many others, we are presented with the apparent contradiction of self-surrender and self-definition, a struggle to find identity within narrow concepts. Elsewhere, she works through Christian concepts to find a position for herself, using her customary ambiguity to suggest secular and religious love simultaneously. I cannot live with you. It would be life. And life is over there, behind the shelf. I cannot live with you. It would be life and life is over there behind the shelf. Nor could I rise with you because your face would put out Jesus that new grace. Nor could I rise with you because your face would put out Jesus that new grace. So we must meet apart. You there, I here, with just the door ajar, that oceans are and prayer, and that white sustenance despair. So we must meet apart, you there are here, with just the door ajar, that oceans are and prayer and that white sustains despair. The final stanza stands as testimony to her spirit, faced with dilemmas. But unable to compromise her wits. She remains separated. As Ted Hughes has described, a choice of Emily Dickinson's words, Faber 1968, she has an ability to see a vision of timeless, vast nothingness whose only resolution is death, the one act that could take her the necessary step beyond her vision. And certainly death is a recurrent, almost obsessive theme in her poetry. Neither did she shy away from her search for universal truth through personal experience. Adventure most unto itself, the soul condemned to be, Attended by a single hound, its own identity. Adventure most unto itself, the soul condemned to be, attended by a single hound, its own identity. Higginson prefaced the first edition of her poetry with the following words. In many cases, these verses will seem to the reader like poetry, torn up by the roots with rain and dew, still clinging to them. In other cases, as in the few poems of shipwreck or of mental conflict, we can only wonder at the gift of vivid imagination by which this recluse woman can delineate by a few touches the very crisis of physical or mental struggle. This torn-up quality is achieved through the startling and shocking quality of her images. Created from the slow, small meter, a device for bringing up each syllable into closer, as under a microscope, there is the mosaic pictogram concentration of ideas into which she codes a volcanic, elemental imagination. The riddling oblique artistic strategies, solid with metaphors, saturated with the homeliest imagery and experience, the freakish blood and nerve paradoxical vitality of the Latinisms. The overall effect can be almost sadian in its cruel power a weight with needles on the pounds to push and pierce besides that if the flesh resists the heft the puncture coolly tries she was regularly rebooked by higginson for the technical irregularities of her poetry she was regularly rebooked by Higginson for the technical irregularities of her poetry. But as with her withdrawal from the world which gave her intellectual freedom, her chosen poetic form was a deliberate revolt. They shut me up in prose. An escape from the captivity of the conventions of poetry and the oppressive sanity of the world. Much madness is divinest sense to a discerning eye. Much sense, the starkest madness, is the majority in this as all prevail. Ascent, and you are sane. Dimmer you are away dangerous and handled with a chain. Much madness is divinest sense to a discerning eye. Much sense the starkest madness is the majority in this Is all prevail. Ascent and you are sane. Dimmer, you are straight away dangerous and handled with a chain. During her lifetime, only seven of her poems were published. However, after her death in 1886, hundreds of poems were discovered in a bureau. Some of these poems were neatly copied out and sewn into booklets, and the remainder were in various states of completion. Her sister Lavinia, or you can call her Lavania, <coughs> Lavinia actually, as the wife of an Amherst professor. Mabel Loomis-Todd to assist her by transcribing and editing them for publication. Three volumes were published in 1890, 1891 and 1896. The first two edited by both Mabel Loomis-Todd and Higginson and the third by Loomis-Todd alone. In editing the poems, Higginson made various changes to the poems by tidying up punctuation and removing some irregularities of meter and rhyme. Titles were also added to some of the poems. These first three volumes are reproduced here with their original prefaces and categorization of life, love, nature, time and eternity Six further volumes have also been published by 1945 and in 1955. The complete 1,775 poems were published in their original forms. Of course, retaining idiosyncrasies of punctuation, grammar and capitalization. This has been shared by Emma Hartnoll, And of course, if you want to read... Um, they have also given for the references uh, women writers and poetic identity, Princeton, Margaret Homans, the letters of Emily Dickinson, Perknam, Harvard 1958, Johnson, an interpretive biography, again Johnson. Uh, Emily Dickinson, the complete poems, London, nineteen seventy. Johnson. Okay. Um, so we'll come back with uh, with many, many, many poems of Emily Dickinson. I love to read her, um, and reading her is uh, is amazing. It's amazing how uh, she came up with short words. Um, describe her feeling her state of mind Um, and she had so much to say Um, maybe she uh, loved talking to herself maybe she observed so much we don't know we we would just try and discover Emily uh, more and more at Poetry Filtre through her poems um, through various readings that we can catch up on enjoy and have a great time At Poetry Filter, Emily Dickinson.